Hi, I'm Alex, and welcome to The Research Room, a space to make research by the people, for the people. And today we're going to be talking all about pain, or at least not necessarily pain, I guess we're talking about pain communication more specifically, but we do have to talk about pain a little bit uh, in order to get there. Um, so who do I have here today? We have a new face. Uh, his name is Dr. Robert Wright. Um, he is a very uh, close member uh, of mine. Uh, he's uh, I mean, a member, right? What is that? A friend. Yeah, maybe I'll call you a friend, right? Um, but yeah, Maybe. we <laughs> our our history goes way back as far as like research goes. Um... And maybe, maybe I'll, I'll devote some time to that uh, another time, maybe in a writing or something. But uh, he is definitely, um, he's an expert uh, in this stuff. And that's why he's here to, to talk about this. I wouldn't be able to do this without him. Um, so um, I guess re regarding this topic, right? So this whole month, we want to talk about um, pain, pain communication, uh, but also just like other factors that go into this. Uh, it's not usually as straightforward as we might think. Um, it's it's not just like uh, someone feels pain and we can treat it and like everything in the world is perfect. Um, it's a pretty like multi-layered uh, sort of uh, phenomenon, right? So um, we wanted to devote this whole month uh, to pain and its communication um, because of that. So I guess other things that uh, you'll be seeing very soon uh, in the next few weeks, um, we'll talk about a, a few of the biases that we might have when it comes to pain and uh, perceiving pain, um, and then also talking about um, how to treat pain um, and what, what might work, what might, uh, might not work. Um, but that's going to be in later weeks. Today, we're only going to be focusing on just like the broad theoretical like <laughs> framework of it. Um, how can we think about pain and its communication? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I really even have to like say much on this, but like, of course it's important, right? We all feel pain. Um, and uh, unfortunately some feel it uh, more intensely than others. Some feel it much longer than others. And uh, I, I think like one of the biggest uh, like complaints that people have about this is that it's not handled well. Uh, their pain is not usually handled well. Uh, and so we, we really need to devote some, some time to just understand this and trying to improve that process. So this paper really helps um, frame uh, our ideas on this. Uh, and so I guess I'll go ahead, I'll hand it over to Robert uh, just for a little bit. Um, so he can help explain uh, this, this paper uh, for us and then yeah, we'll take it from there. Yeah, so the paper's titled Biopsychosocial uh, Bio uh, Formulation of Pain Communication. Um, the idea behind the paper is to lay the groundwork, kind of the theoretical basis of understanding pain communication, which pain on itself is an incredibly complex topic. Communication on its, on its own is a complex um, process. So combining the two, of course, makes them extra complex. Complex. Uh, the beginning, the paper talks about the biopsychosocial model. Um, if you're not familiar with that, it's an idea of something at the center, be it well-being or pain, um, is influenced by the bio, biological, psycho, psychological, and social aspects. All of those aspects also influence each other and kind of change over time. Um, what this is important to understand is that in communication, every step of the pain communication process is an interplay of that biopsychosocial aspect. So when you first experience the pain, you're experiencing the pain with the biopsychosocial uh, context. All of those in, are influencing each other and influencing the pain. 
when you're getting to the process of communicating the pain, all of the biopsychosocial are impacting there as well. And then once you do communicate the pain, the other person who is receiving the pain communication views that with all three of those aspects, which are very complex and um, very difficult to grasp all at once. So that kind of lays the groundwork of this is how pain communication happens. It's very complex. It's very difficult to understand. Now let's try and understand it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I guess maybe I'll, I'll just quickly add to that and say that like, this is I think a pretty like huge leap forward uh, as far as like thinking about pain and its communication, right? Like, because I guess anytime you think about pain, you really are thinking about the biological aspects of it that like, oh, like somewhere in your body, you can feel that pain and like, it must be physical in nature, right? It must be physiological, it must be biological. Um, but it, there's just so much more to it uh, than that. And I mean, this, this model does a, a great job uh, of really explaining that. Um, I guess... I also am thinking like, do I actually define what pain is? Like we all know what pain is, um, but like- I think it's really important to, to level set of what definitions these authors are using when they talk about pain. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I, I did write down what the actual definition that they used is, although I don't know if it's, it's a great one because like it's, it's a very abstract because <laughs> um, it, it, they want to be able to encompass a lot of things in it, right? Um, so I'll read it for you just so that you get a sense. Um, unpleasant sensory or emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in terms of such damage, um, which I think leaves that room for like, maybe there isn't tissue damage, but like it, you're still describing it as if there is. Um, which obviously like, yeah, that totally happens, right? Like it, it, you don't necessarily have to have like a physical point uh, in your in your body that's like, oh, like I know this is why I have that pain. Um, so there's, there's that definition. Um, is there something you wanna to add to that before I? I'll, I'll add the other like very commonly used definition mm -hmm. um, from Margot McCaffrey. Um, it's whatever the experiencing person says it is, existing whenever and wherever the person says it does. Mm. So it's very much putting the individual like, this is my pain and it is pain, not mm -hmm. necessarily like, oh, you don't have the biological indications for pain, so it's not pain. Cool, yeah, I mean, I, I'm much more like that uh, definition <laughs> than whatever I just read. Um, yeah, because yeah, I mean th that really puts the control in on the other person uh, rather than like the doctors being in control of like oh no like I can't I can't uh, I don't see it so like <laughs> it must not exist. Um, so I, maybe that uh, leads us to like what are all these other factors that go into this then? Um, and I, I think there are some individual factors about just like their personal psychology, and then there are going to be the social factors, right? Like how are people communicating about it? How are they talking about it? How do they express it? How is it received? All of that. Um, also, just like literally <laughs> their surroundings and, and things like that. Um, so maybe. Uh, we've already sort of uh, talked about this, but let me get like a clear answer from you. Do you think that pain itself is objective uh, or do you think that uh, it, it is pretty subjective? I, I think right now we can't say it's objective mm -hmm. in that sense. Like maybe technology can eventually find that electricity running from a nerve ending and quantify that in a uh, way that's consistent across people. I don't think that's currently where we're at. Um, 
I think it is objective. It is or subjective. Pardon me. It is what the person says it is existing whenever and wherever. Um, and often it's not easy to see. Like if there is say a compound fracture, you can see there is pain, but you don't know that pain level and you're not able to actually as an observer quantify that pain level versus the individual in it who might be in shock at that point and might have a good representation of their pain level either. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's that easy. Mm-hmm. Right. So and maybe even to like put this in, in even simpler terms, just like if, if someone were to think about like two different people and they both experience the same exact event to happen to them, right? Like whatever that pain event is, um, maybe it's stubbing your toe or like whatever, right? Um, some, well, let's actually, no, much... I... sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, let's use a much less severe injury. I like stubbing your toe. I was gonna say, actually, stubbing your toe, I think that's like pretty universal. Like that's a 10 out of 10 (laughs) for pain. Um, so maybe, oh, geez, uh, maybe drawing blood. Uh, let's say that, um, some people, uh, like that hurts a lot, right? Like they just they literally can't do it. Right. Like it's just, uh, it's so, um, it's such an intense experience. And then for other people, like there's nothing and like, they don't really associate it with pain. They don't associate it with like anything. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's objective in the sense of like a needle is definitely going into your body. Uh, so we know that there is going to be a, a point uh, where uh, pain will occur. Um, but yeah, I mean, that subjective experience differs so widely. Um, so what are some of the, oh, sorry, you didn't say them. Go for it. Nope. Uh, I was going to say like, what, what are some of those things that, that changed this experience? Um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, even from the biological standpoint, mm. there are individual differences, right? Mm. So the amount and sensitivity of nerve endings in that area, is going to vary across people. Um, so that alone, the biological, there's, there's differences there. The psychological, um, in the definition you read, it's actual or potential tissue damage. Um, we know fear and anxiety heightens pain and the fear of pain is just as, um, can register just as bad as the actual pain. So especially in something where somebody's afraid of needles or they're not looking forward to it, they know that is going to hurt that heightened expectation is going to make that worse. So the, the psychological aspect there, and then the social aspect, if you're in a doctor's office that you are very much not comfortable in. And depending who's there, like that could also heighten or dampen the pain. Um, There's lots of um, experimental work in like the college kids where they're in a room and they're doing some sort of acute pain tasks, like putting your hand in ice water or um, a heat gun to you. And if you find the other person in that room attractive, you experience less pain. So things like that, that are social contexts and not necessarily biological or anything to do with that necessarily individual, but more of the, the social situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the stuff that you're talking about, it's like, there's even so many other layers uh, that go on <laughs> with each of those like situations that you're saying, right? Um, like I'm thinking about uh, that, that like college student study uh, where let's say someone does have to submerge their hand in, in a bucket of ice water, right? Um, I mean, first of all, super uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I don't know if uh, other people that are listening have also done that, but like super uncomfortable, right? Um, there's only so long that you can do that. Um, but you, the way that you phrased it, it was like, um, people end up experiencing this pain. And it's like, 
do they actually, or are they just expressing it differently? Are they just saying that uh, they're experiencing less pain? Like, like they literally, like, especially if it's someone that's attractive, like you might want to like show off and be like, oh no, that wasn't that that painful. I can tough this out. And then I guess like maybe there's also like other sexist ideas that go on along with that. But potentially that would be like a male participant with a, a female um, experimenter. Um, but yeah, what do you think? And cultural. Uh implications of how people express different things and pain being a thing that is expressed differently across cultures. Um, another more famous study is, uh, again, well, we can question the methods, but um, this was maybe 15, 20 years ago now, people got a tooth pulp shock, which is kind of like the roots of your tooth. And it was shocked, which is very painful and uncomfortable, as you can imagine. People were randomized to get that in the psych lab versus a dentist's office. Mm. People in the dentist's office recorded more subjective pain than those getting the same shock levels and randomized all the, the fun methodology. My question is always who signs up for that study? That might not be representative of the general population. Mm. I would not sign up for that research study and I will sign up for basically anything to help forward science along. Um, so the understanding that like, the, the social context, maybe it's not an individual, but the situation that you're in, in this dentist's office where your fear, your anxiety is heightened, you expect to feel more or um, experience more dental pain versus a psych lab, which I'm assuming um, was much more like traditional psych lab and not looking like a, a dentist's office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, I think it's a really cool point. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it, it sucks <laughs> that like these situations have <laughs> such um, like determination over our potential experience of pain. Um, I, but I, I think that's totally true, right? That like you could literally experience the same thing in, in different locations. And I mean, all the other cues that are happening there, all the other past experiences that you had, like definitely like funnel into that, right? Like, I mean, your brain of course has memory centers, but like, I mean, your body also like remembers things, right? Um, so, and and there's that like cross communication between your brain and body that like, yeah, I mean, if you experience pain in another place before, like, I mean, your body's probably already a little bit more tense and like um, that, that of course is going to like increase the, the pain itself. Um, so I, I, I also like, I'm thinking about like the opposite direction though, um, that like, <clears throat> can situations also, um, can you walk into a situation like knowing that like, oh, it's going to be like a bad experience or whatever, but then actually it ends up being like a very good experience. And that like ends up like decreasing the amount of pain that you experience. Like if you think about like maybe a really good doctor uh, and like, if they're administering like whatever like painful thing that they have to administer, like they can really soothe that pain over. Um, even though like, again, objectively, like you're still getting the exact same procedure. Yeah. I think, and, and maybe not perfect example of this, but um, in clinical research, there's lots of training for the researchers on placebo effects mm. and how to act neutral in those situations. So you don't encourage through whatever mechanisms the placebo effect works. And we, it's a whole nother month long series, uh, to try and try and parse that out. But, um, people are trained and it's known that like that individual can have an influence on the outcomes and um, symptoms experienced by participants um, in medical trials. So uh, maybe, I mean, first, like, what is a placebo effect? Uh, just like a very quick, <laughs> uh, how, how would you explain it? Uh, um, so like the most general generic definition is 
And it comes from these double blind uh, medical, usually drug trials where one group gets the medication, the other group gets a sugar pill or a placebo drug. Um, and the expectation is that because you're in the trial, you're getting the drug and you show the benefits of the actual drug, even though you are taking the sugar pill. Um, so the idea that psychology somehow tricks your body into experiencing these uh, positive effects of the medication that you're actually not on. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that like, of course, right. Like you, you literally didn't get any kind of like medication or whatever or treatment um, for it. And you feel better. Like your brain is like tricking you, uh, which is like, great. I, I think that's a, it's a great effect. Uh, it would reduce a lot of uh, problems in society if we, we could really like harness that effect. Um, and I think also like the idea of like, it's almost like the self-fulfilling like prophecies, like sort of idea that like, if you, I mean, if you treat someone well, <laughs> they will probably feel better uh, kind of thing. And like, if they are feeling good, then like, they're also like going to end up feeling better. Um, and I mean, yeah, that, so, I mean, do you know anything about like the actual like medical training, uh, like <laughs> not to get into too many details, but like, do doctors, like, are they actually trained to like deal with pain management? Pain management, yes, I mean, because sorry. most uh, of what um, <laughs> medicine is, yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting because the pain communication, like I, I, my experience in medical centers is an N of one. Mm -hmm. Like I worked in one medical center mm -hmm. for like, um, and worked with medical students and residents in that sense. Um, and I have seen it. They do have training on, um, and it's more recent, but like cultural contexts, there's always these biases that are built into people expressing pain. Certain groups always express pain. Certain groups don't express pain. Um, and I think historically, like doctors have kind of used those as kind of quick rules of thumb to then determine immediate treating, um, not necessarily like long-term, but I'm sure that like immediate treating falls into long-term trends. Um, but there is an understanding that like there are individual differences. There are cultural differences on how people describe pain, but pain is still pain and should be treated. And um, it, as much as there is an effort to, to promote things like the biopsychosocial model, like in practice, I don't know how much that's actually taken into account as much as it's the, the um, biological aspect. I've been in meetings with surgeons who describe a condition and say about 20% of people experience pain in this condition, but they shouldn't because there's no biological reason for it. And it's like, but the definition says it's whatever they say it is whenever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's, it's tough because they are trying to treat something that they can't see. And it's very abstract in lots of instances. And it's not as easy as taking an x-ray and seeing a broken bone as much as it is like trying to understand a super complex prop process and problem in that short time with little background and trying to do it as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I guess uh, there's two things that, that uh, were really brought up uh, from what you just said. Um, 
one thing that I'm wondering now is like the level of training that different like specialties of doctors get, right? So like the surgeon probably doesn't get as much. Uh, they're usually not dealing with people that are like even conscious. Um, so like <laughs> they don't need that training, right? Uh, but someone uh, who has to like actually get that information from somebody, uh, a patient, uh, like they probably will get much more training hopefully on like how to how to understand what people are saying, how to uh, decode is like probably the word that uh, is, is tossed around quite a bit in, in this uh, paper, um, how to decode people's messages, how to uh, perceive it correctly. Um, and I guess the other thing that is brought up uh, in my mind is like, so it's, I think it is great overall that there is training on like maybe certain groups might have certain tendencies uh, when it comes to pain communication. I feel like that can also lead uh, down a very dark path. Uh, and I mean, I, I say that part, not to interrupt, but say that I, part as trying to train against having those thoughts of mm. like these certain people always act like this. So it's more kind of like trying to address those biases and cool. correct for them. Not like these groups do this, these are not, that's not what is being taught anymore. <laughs> anymore. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, or I don't know if it was ever taught mm. as much as it was just kind of inferred through kind of this is how we've always done it type of thing. I don't know if there maybe there was mm. um, a class that went over that. Um, hopefully not in the last many, many decades. Yes, hopefully. Um but I guess um, that is a, a good point that like this paper also brings up that like, I mean, there are tendencies though, uh, and like they are very socially, uh, societally like um, uh, conferred upon, right? Like they, they're brought down because of all these ideas of like, oh, certain groups are supposed to act a certain way, certain groups are not supposed to act a certain way, which like, regardless of if that is true or not, like that is doing a lot of damage uh, to the system here. Um, and so like a, a very quick one to mention, right? Like that men are not allowed to like actually express their pain. Uh, that like, uh, you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to like complain about any pain symptoms. You just kind of like, you, you shrug it off and you don't go to the doctor. And like, all of that is very true, right? Like <laughs> that ends up happening. Uh, but I mean, unfortunately because of like learned patterns rather than like actually like this is the truth um, kind of thing. So like we have to work uh, to like un un unlearn these patterns that, uh, that occur. And that behavior leads to things like getting to the point where you have to go to the emergency room mm. instead of going to your primary care doctor, which has implications for healthcare resources, cost of healthcare, um, being able to treat something early instead of waiting too long. And then you're at the point, and I think to, to the point you were getting at earlier, um, different communications for different specialties within medicine. Like I would argue surgeons need to be able to talk and interpret pain because often when a, or a patient gets to them with pain so bad that surgery is an option, like they need to understand, like, do you need a total knee replacement? Can we go back to PT? Is there some other intermediate thing before like replacing an entire knee and just going and like trying to work it out? Um, I think that's across specialties. I mean, we can get into like arguing radiologists who don't interact with patients don't need this training, but mm -hmm. um, I think especially not just the frontline general practitioners or ER doctors, but the specialists who deal with the chronic conditions where pain is one of the most common comorbidities, co-occurring um, symptoms with 
almost all chronic illness. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think there is a type of doctor who does not need to understand pain and the pain communication and all of the implications around how it is communicated, like this paper gets into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So I guess like this is uh, I, like, yeah, I, I, I will walk back. First of all, uh, my, my th- thought on the surgery, <laughs> not to call you out yes. not like that, but yeah. Um, Cause I, I do forget that like, yes, surgeons do still uh, talk to patients. They don't just <laughs> meet them for the first time when they are uh, unconscious already. Um, and also to like, to be a part of that, that process, right? Like they should be a part of that process. They, they have the technical knowledge there that like, oh, surgery actually isn't necessarily here. Like um, that, 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 that'd be great to communicate. Um, so uh, I'm trying to, what was I going to say about that? Um, so, I mean, everything here is like, it is talking about uh, the importance of this, right? So like, we, we have talked a little bit about biopsychosocial uh, model uh, and all those different things that go into it. Um, but I mean, that it so naturally leads to like the importance of it, right? That like, um, we, we need to understand this. We need to understand what are these individual facets. We need to understand these uh, more socially uh, constructed sort of things that also occur um, and how we perceive it and all of that, right? Um, so, I mean, knowing that this is the case, knowing that uh, it is so multifaceted, what do we do about this? <laughs> it's like <laughs> the biggest thing on my mind. Because like, yes, we could talk for days about like how important it is, but like as psychologists now, like what do we do? Um, is and Maybe I'll, I'll pose a more specific question. Um, what do you think, maybe first of all, is there one of these that is the most important? Do you think that biological like uh, could override the, the psychological? Could you think psychological override like the social? Like, what do you think? I mean, I think you can, like, if you uh, can somehow numb the biological, then that can lead to improved pain outcomes that can help with the psychological and the social aspects of it. I think, to your point, like, having the best doctor for your personality, like, you mentioned someone who's super caring and compassionate, and like, there are individual differences on the type of patients and what kind of care they want. Some people just want somebody to come in, tell them what's, what's going on, what to do and how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Some people do want that like handhold, like we're here, like let's, let's win this together. Some people want like, here are the 15 uh, medical journal articles that I referenced to help decide this treatment plan here's the percentage that I give of improvement over X weeks. Like, so it's individual differences in that sense. So I think um, if we can handle each aspect, I don't think that one alone would end everything for everyone, but for some people, one alone for would really help. Um, I, I, I think this article is important specifically for psychologists and for um medical medical clinicians and researchers in we need somewhere to start and go off from there needs to be some sort of theory that we can test and then once we can test it like the scientific method eventual goal is to then prevent the pain right so we can test it we can understand it yes it's incredibly complex no no study could probably address all three of these at once in an rct to give you definitive proof of which each me- what each mechanism is um, 
but it is a place where we can all come together, speak the same language, understand how to research something under a single framework instead of all have our own separate little areas and have just these silos that never actually talk to each other and can't get back to. Yes, pain is incredibly complex because there is a biological, social, and psychological. Let's make sure when we're doing our research, we frame that within one of those three areas, specifically around communication of pain, which the goal of communicating pain is to get the pain alleviated. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- that was just such a good uh, summary of things that like, I, there's part of me that wants <laughs> to just end this episode right here because that was so good. Um, but I have more questions. So. <laughs> okay. Um, so with this idea uh, that like for certain people, some things will be more important, <laughs> very vague uh, sentence, but I mean, that is essentially what it is for some people. The biological really is going to be more important than the psychological or the social. Um, I think right now, one of the like biggest barriers uh, to like really making sure that this is successful, uh, knowing that all these levels exist, like, um, and that this needs to be communi- communicated in a certain way, like, this, um, it shouldn't be all up to um, doctors, right? Um, I, I think as patients, as people that go into the, the office, like we should have some knowledge going into this. The problem is we don't, <laughs> we often don't. Yeah. We are just like grasping at straws and we are trying our best to communicate something. Um, and sometimes that leads down like misleading like paths. Sometimes uh, we, we might over-exaggerate things. Sometimes we under-exaggerate things. Like all of that happens. Um, and we have no idea about like, what, what do we actually need in this moment? Like, we just know we're in pain here. Like, help me. Um, and so I, I do wonder, it's like, to what degree can we actually like help uh, the public uh, on just like general knowledge on this? Like even something as simple as like, before going into the doctor's office, like, what do you actually want from the doctor? Like, that's such a simple question. Like, I don't even know if I've literally like thought about that. And like, I've, I've definitely been thinking about like this idea uh, for quite a few years. Um, but I, I don't know if I've done that in my own life that like, oh, I, I want to be able to like communicate with the doctor and like have dialogue versus like, oh, I actually just want them to like, tell me like, take this and you're done. Um, do you think that the, is that like feasible? Yeah, I, I have family members who know this is generally what I do is um, or have done is research on pain and um, we'll be having kind of bad pain or chronic pain and want to know like how do I go into the doctor like some of the fear is like I don't want them to think I'm just looking for drugs I like that's a fear patients have Mm -hmm. like that's something that doctors have to understand like there are people who have become addicted to these types of pain drugs. Um, but it's also like, how can you have such a short amount of time with your doctor? You need to express everything you want. You get into that visit. It's not just you narrating kind of your experience. It's an interaction where the doctor interrupts and asks questions and trying to get the specific information. Um, my advice is always like write down your questions ahead of time. Um, if possible, keep a pain diary, trying to figure out when the pain is the worst. Is it always in the morning? Is it when you do a certain activity? Is it because you slept a certain way? Um, trying to provide them with as many potential answers to questions they may have. Um, and it may be your doctor doesn't want to see this, you know, you know, your yellow legal pad where you've written out the last two weeks or you printed out your Excel spreadsheet, however you do it. Um, But the more information you have and can provide the doctor, 
the more they can help you. The problem with pain is it's measured on a zero to 10 scale, right? Like we can't get away from that. Many, many people have tried, many very, very, very smart people have tried over the years to figure out a better way to measure pain and a better way to kind of like access what's actual pain level. Is it like zero to 10 is so different for each person. It's so different for each person throughout their lives. It's so different depending on your past experience. Like what you thought was a 10 could change after you have a worse injury than a stubbed toe per se, Mm -hmm. your stubbed toe no longer is a 10, it's a five. Um, So that information given to your doctor of like, it's a seven. Okay, but you've had like a really bad back injury. So a seven to you is really, really high Mm -hmm. versus someone else who's never had past pain rates something as a seven or let me rephrase that, hasn't remembered or experienced their pain as high Mm -hmm raise that as a seven, it, that means nothing really to the doctor in that grand sense. So if you can say like, this is the worst pain I've ever experienced. Here's when I experienced, here's how I experience it. That's more information for the doctor can better kind of get the next steps in understanding pain. I think that's pain or anything you're experiencing, the more information you can bring to the provider the better and the, the more it'll help you remember in the, in the moment, because when you're having that conversation, what you wanted to say, the conversation can go a different way and you never got to the main point or what you mm-hmm. thought was the most important. And doctors can sometimes talk fast. The appointments are quick. Um, and like you just forget and then you go home and you're like, oh, that's what I wanted to say. So having that written out as silly as it is, it's super helpful. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's silly at all, but I, I can understand how maybe someone does <laughs> think about that as silly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that, that like just the more prepared you are, the better that the, the uh, interaction is going to be. Right. And that's, that's ultimately all you want, right? Like you don't want to leave there being like, Oh, I don't, I didn't actually get anything from that. Like if you have come in prepared, then like you, you only help in that process. Um, Cool. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, we are kind of out of time though, <laughs> which sucks. Cause like, there's so many other things I want to get to. Like we literally haven't even talked about like what even is pain communication? Like there, there's so many different parts to just that aspect. Um, and I, I mean, I, I guess I will also just quickly plug that uh, Robert, uh, you, you said that very smart people have tried to figure out uh, a better way to measure pain and pain communication. Um, I, I think you are included in that. Uh, you have literally uh, tried to create a better measure. Um, so I know you're going to hate me for saying that, but <laughs> uh, here I am. Um, but it, it is such an important thing, right? Like if we just sit for a little bit and think about how might we uh, explain like pain to somebody? Um, you, you could use so many different types of like adjectives, uh, so many different uh, ways to describe that pain, and all of those will mean different things. And like they should mean different things, right? Like is it like the way that a muscle might hurt versus like a bone might hurt? Like all of those are going to be like very different, right? And so. Um, yes, I think just, again, that point of like preparedness uh, is such a, such a good one uh, that uh, I think is the last message that uh, we'll leave here, uh, I, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I hopefully, hopefully, hopefully um, within this conversation, like just the idea of like that you can be aware that there's all these other factors that go into this. Like it's not just 
you uh, and like your, your doctor and whoever else you might be speaking to. Like if you speak to your, your spouse all the time about your pain, like that's also going to like inform like, oh, maybe my pain isn't as bad as I thought it was before. Right. Um, uh, so many layers to this. Uh, maybe we need like three months for this. This is <laughs> this could be three years. I, I will uh, just one thing I'll add and it's yeah. your last point. We spent the majority of the time talking about pain communication with your provider. Mm-hmm. There's a whole world that you live in between doctor's appointments where you interact with people and communicate pain, whether uh, knowing or unknowing, whether it's verbal, whether it's just kind of sounds, whether it's facial expressions. Um, And that is its own line of research and very interesting, really relevant things because the pain communication with your doctor is so such a small slice of how a pain journey kind of is experienced. So um, yeah three plus years on this topic and we would still be going over the same paper I imagine but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah we'll keep returning to it I think um cool okay so uh we'll we'll end this here uh, for today we we will devote more time to this um the idea of pain communication uh, and again things about like treatment and like other biases that we we might be having with this and like how do we get rid of that um so that uh that's stuff to look forward to um where can you find this uh this is all going to be on our website, which is roomforresearch.com, as well as on social media, uh, which is at Room for Research. And um, I mean, until then, uh, thank you, Robert. Thank you for your expertise and uh, shedding some light on pain communication. Um, maybe you'll come back and uh, <laughs> help yeah. more with this. But yeah, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm such a fan of all the work you're doing. So thank you for, for letting me be a small part of it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, until then, bye for now.